It's possible to admire the artificial intelligence developments in the last 10 years, such as Apple's Siri and IBM's Watson that recently won Jeopardy against its human opponents. It's also possible to not only admire them, but also believe that they're ultimately a dead end when it comes to developing human-level artificial intelligence. That's at least the belief of the guest that we have on the show this week in the Tech Emergence podcast. Alexei Samsonovich teaches at George Mason University. He's a PhD there. He's also founded the Biologically Inspired Cognitive Architecture Society, where he's founder and president. In today's episode, we delve into the topic of emotional intelligence and how we could get a machine to convince us that it's conscious, convince us that it, like us, has a narrative understanding of the world and of people and other entities other than itself and isn't a cold, dry machine. Uh, that's not an easy uh, road to cross, but Alexi goes into where he believes our research initiative should be in order to ultimately get there. Uh, the audio came through a bit choppy on this episode, which I was a little bit disappointed by. I think it might have been our Skype connection. But luckily, it's still more than audible, and I didn't want to lose the audio. I felt as though, especially about two-thirds of the way through this episode, when we start to talk about the conveyance and understanding of emotion, there's a lot of depth here that I really gleaned from this episode, and I wanted to still be able to share it with everybody. So excuse the little bit of choppiness in some of the initial earlier audio. I hope you'll get a lot out of this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. So without further ado, we'll roll right into the episode. So, Alexi, what I wanted to start off with is we've asked a lot of great researchers the same topic. Um, where have you seen AI make the most progress in the, in the decade previously? You know, 2005 to 2015, um, there have maybe been some areas that have progressed slower than others. Where have, you, where have we made leaps in terms of understandings and applications of AI in the last 10 years? I think there have been a lot of progress in AI during the last 10 years, in particular, especially in the field of intelligent agents. Uh, now... We are getting more interested in uh, topics like human, human-like intelligence, yep. human higher cognitive abilities, human theory of mind, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, uh, common sense reasoning, uh, everything else that stands uh, somehow aside classical mainstream AI. But this is exactly, uh, I think, what we are missing on the roadmap towards the big goal, which is the human level artificial yes. intelligence, of course. Now, you'd you mentioned, um, mentioned, I think, it, did you say emotional intelligence in addition to cognitive agents? Oh, yeah. I believe that emotional intelligence in particular is the key and probably the easiest first step on the roadmap because, uh, from my point of view, it is relatively easy to implement. Uh, emotion sounds like something that only a human can possess, but actually nobody can prove that any human or a machine has or has no emotions. So what we have is just uh, appearance, behavior, whether it conforms to our notion of uh, emotionally intelligent being or not. And here we are interested in believable agents that behave so that we can believe that they are alive and capable of feeling and understanding us. And that in particular is something that we can implement today and it is probably one of the easiest tasks. Uh, as strange as it sounds. Yeah, that's that's curious because I, I think some people would think that, that that comes across as rather difficult. Even before even before we get into those future applications or go down the, the, the roads of emotional intelligence, which I'm sure to some degree we're already um, traversing, um, you had mentioned, just if we speak a little bit about the last 10 years, you know, the progress that's been made in cognitive agents. Um, 
how, where, where has that progress been? I think a lot of us are familiar with Siri and, and the, the fact that you know natural language recognition um, is is at a astronomically better place than it probably was ten years ago. Um, and Siri certainly didn't exist ten years ago. Are those sort of the paramount examples? What 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 uh what else can we sort of um, you know, use as an, as an example of, of these cognitive agents being a bigger part of our world today than they were then or where we've progressed. Oh, you're absolutely right. There can be a lot of progress in natural language understanding and in other things like machine learning. But I uh, named those examples like Siri or Watson uh, or Google Car. I, I yeah. still uh, name them as negative examples because they don't really create exactly what we need. How many users actually talk to Siri every day? I, I hate using it and I never did. I, I tried maybe a couple of times just to understand that this is not different from a, another uh, cheap tool, uh, a, an artifact that is not alive, not, uh, not capable of understanding me, and that's sufficient uh, for me to avoid trying huh. to have conversation with Siri. And, uh, you obviously can't talk about Shakespeare for you know, at length or anything along those lines, but does, does Siri still represent at least progress from where we were back in, you know, 2000? Oh, yes. Uh, the, 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 uh, first of all, I have to say that uh, Siri resulted from a DARPA program, and um, as I learned from a presentation at the AAAI conference uh, last summer, uh, all details of Siri are actually proprietary, and uh, what it represents is a mixture of all variety of different approaches somehow patched together to achieve one goal uh, no matter how. So this, the solution is obviously not elegant, uh, not something that uh, can be used by many of us to create something else. And uh, it's it's a dead end sidetrack, I would say, as many other examples exist of this sort. And so is the agent Watson that can beat a human in jeopardy. It was laser focused, tuned on that particular task. Yes. So, in my view, we need something else. We need uh, maybe not so smart agent, but an agent that we uh, we can believe uh, understands us and we can understand. Like, Got it. A virtual pet, for example, <laughs> that may not be able to speak, but you would believe that it is alive. So, so um, moving moving into that, you know, you mentioned what we need. I suppose what we need would need some context. So, you know, it it sounds to me like for you, um, this domain of personal agents and whatnot has has been uh, some sign of, of legitimate progress. And like many other AI projects, it was funded by DARPA. I think moving in the future, we'll probably see more. Um, venture action there and we've already seen a lot of acquisition action there and ai sort of coming cool again i suppose um but but like many projects funded by darpa you had mentioned we we need something else you mean we need something else if we want to attain human level intelligence oh yeah yeah sure yep hopefully we'll come through okay here um yeah you'd mentioned we need something else do you that we need something else in order to have a a human level uh, believable sort of agent, like a, a like to attain some semblance of of personhood and and personality uh, in an agent. What are you looking to create, or what were you referring to, and to what we need more of? Not as much uh, personality as uh, I would. Uh, I hate to say consciousness. I mean something that we can believe is alive. Um, so, what what I think we need is an autonomous uh, social virtual actor agent. Now the word actor is used in 
instead of the word agent for some reason. Uh, an entity that can uh, can be our partner, ideally our friend, but most importantly, we should not interact with it as we do interact with the tool. Uh, for example, if I'm uh, getting online to to have some task accomplished, I can get engaged either with an automaton or with a human. If I am looking for an automaton, I'm looking for one that I understand precisely what it does. I want it to have simple buttons and they want to know what every button does when I click it. Uh, and, and for me, this is a mechanical tool, nothing more. It should be clear and simple and easy to use. But when I talk to a human, I don't expect it to have buttons. I expect it to be able to understand my mind, to understand my needs and to infer what actions I may want to take and help me to, to achieve my goal. And this is exactly what we will need from this virtual actor. Got it. And, and in terms of this virtual actor, would do you see maybe the first, you know, what would it take in order to, to create an entity that we would believe was, you know, alive or real or, you know, we mentioned, con we have all these fuzzy, fuzzy, weird terms, but I, I know you mean in context, I understand. Um, in order to, in order to sort of buy in to the idea that we're speaking to a living thing, I mean, communicating as we do with people where we're not putting and twisting little knobs, um, we're just having conversations. We're walking into room, we're interacting on a, on a social and body language and emotive level and, and all this. Um, clearly there's a lot of steps from Watson to that. There's a lot of steps from Siri to that. What are some of those first steps? What does it take to bridge the gap from what we know today to sort of seem, you know, autonoma-like in very overt ways um, to something that we buy to be alive, to be a, a living entity that we can hold a conversation with and interact with like a person, not a machine? What what small steps would that take off the bat? Yeah, this is, this is a perfect question, but let me first answer what steps I believe are not critical. Ah. Those would be uh, steps like giving it uh, photographic appearance, photographically realistic appearance, or the ability to express itself using gestures, face expression, uh, uh, body language, and so on, or just uh, use uh, natural language at the human level. This is not something that would be critical. I, I guess um, we can finance it at the beginning and uh, deal with nature that is limited to some simplified language, let's say, and suppose it only has a command line interface. So what? Still, we can uh, tell an automaton from a human uh, using Turing test, for example. Yeah. Would it be possible for us to achieve uh, mutual understanding and believability on both sides through command line interface instead of fancy graphics and body language? So I would say the most critical part is something that is at the top of human agency. That's the ability to understand other minds, to, to understand the, the narrative of what is happening. That implies some sort of narrative intelligence. Also, social emotional intelligence, which, which is uh, closely related to narrative intelligence. And finally, the ability to learn like a human that usually involves active learning. Yeah, yeah so th those are the most critical steps that need uh, need to be achieved we actually need a breakthrough in each of those steps okay so now uh, some of those terms new we probably can't get into every one of them today you had mentioned let's just start off with emotional intelligence um, in terms of initial steps in emotional intelligence I know that there are machines that to some rough degree uh, can recognize human facial expressions and and um, 
maybe can pick up on biosignals. People wearing, you know, some some sort of watch that that can tell if there are headbands of, of some kind, some kind of EEG. Um, so there's so, some kind of rough level detection of emotion. But what is, what is a step forward in emotional intelligence for a machine really imply today? Yes, again, all those examples that you just gave, um, I, I would call very peripheral tasks, yep. which are not at the core of the problem. So, for example, uh, detecting emotions by psychophysical responses, uh, like uh, heart rate or body temperature uh, or skin conductance response, would may be helpful, but would not be necessary to create an emotionally intelligent machine. And uh, first of all, by emotional intelligence, I mean uh, emotionally based cognition. So that's not emotion per se. That's cognition, which mm-hmm. uh, which is adequate to emotions and uh, capable of interpreting uh, emotions and using them in uh, decision making and generation of behavior. So for some reason. Most research in the field of emotions in AI have been focused on describing emotional states of the agent as a whole. And what, what, I, what I think is, is the key point is not, not the emotional state of the whole agent, but its appraisal of every element of its awareness, like uh, evaluation of each object, each possible action, or each uh, a relation that was understood uh, from a certain uh, system of value point of view. And, and then using those appraisals to generate goals, uh, motiv- to motivate actions, uh, and to generate behavior. Th- that's what I would call uh, emotional, emotional cognition. And how, how would we step forward in that today? I mean, I think, again, the emotion detection thing, like you said, it's a little bit dry. It's not quite how we cut the mustard, right? It's not It's the way we butter the bread around here. As human beings, we don't calibrate how many inches are between, you know, your, your bow line. You know, like, we don't, we don't do that. Um, you're, you're speaking to sort of how a machine might, in more, I hate to say, intuitive sense, I don't have a better academic term than that, um, make sense of emotion and, and interact with emotion. What, how, how would we... Uh, how would we program a machine to do such a thing, and, and how can we chip away at that as a problem? You know, uh, looking at a thousand faces and sort of machine learning which one's a smile and which one's a frown. I think that could be fruitful in some sense, but I understand what you mean. It's not what we do. Um, how would we get a machine, in an emotional sense, to in some way do what we do? What are, what are the, like, the little experiments that we can tinker with, or that maybe people are already tinkering with, that our listeners might know about? Yes, people are already working in this field, and uh, I noticed that it just became uh, and is becoming very hot yep. uh, as we speak. And so, for example, um, yeah, so we, I, I think we should not program, and we cannot program a machine to uh, exhibit natural emotions. It should emerge naturally, but we need to program it at some higher level, uh, at some more basic level to, to be able to evolve and generate what we see as emotional behavior. Uh, to give a simplest example, uh, there was a famous cartoon by Hader and Simmel uh, created for evaluation of human emotional intelligence uh, in the 1940s hmm. when we didn't have computers. And uh, only recently people started looking at this cartoon and tried to generate uh, an AI program that can generate such cartoons on its own. So actually what it does, it has uh, three geometrical shapes without 
any body language or any facial expression. Yeah. Uh, they, they only can express uh, their emotional states by, by their behavior. They can move either slow or fast. They can hit each other. They can avoid each other, hide from each other, and so on. And you immediately recognize what those emotional states are as you watch the cartoon. Huh. Interesting. So, yes. And uh, currently there are at least three groups in the world, probably more, uh, and maybe two of them in California, who are working in this direction and actually are creating uh, such cartoons automatically and using them to interact with humans. We all know that uh, computer games today are very sophisticated and very advanced, but they still lack uh, natural emotional behavior of non-player characters. Yep. And this is what comes now to life. This is, uh, as we speak, this is something that has been created today. Huh, okay, okay. So people are, people are aiming to make sense or people are creating uh, machines that can glean from an intuitive sense, glean the emotional expression of moving shapes, even without a face or anything like that, just based on the sort of uh, perceived behavior of these uh, shapes, simply by them moving around. So they're training machines to, to know, well, this, this, or this, this shape might be sad because it's doing these things. This, this shape might be happy because it seems to be doing these things. This one might be angered. Is that is that safe to uh, to say? Is that, is that what you're trying to articulate here? Yeah, something like this, but I would not relate it necessarily to facial expression, which may not be there at all. Oh yeah, it's so, not in, in those particular yeah, what, shapes. Um, actually, my point of view is um, also expressed in another my paper in the journal Baika uh, on emotional uh, biologically inspired cognitive architecture. And this view is that um, we can use emotional appraisals of every object of every agent and every action to uh, generate behavior, to uh, to motivate our choice for certain behavior. And uh, it's, well, at, at the first level, it, it can be uh, algorithmized very easily, but then we can make those algorithms more and, uh, and more fine-tuned too much the human thinking. So basically the idea is that uh, when we perceive behavior, we always uh, prize it emotionally. Every action has an emotional flavor, whether it is uh, collaborative or adversary or uh -huh. competitive. Uh, it always has some emotional flavor. Uh, even if we are constructing a shape from blocks together, if you put one block on the top and I uh, put another block on the side, that immediately has some emotional interpretation. Ah, so, very, very interesting. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, actually, I did this uh, this experiment with undergrads, and it's also described in my another paper. Uh, but the idea is that every every such appraisal first uh, contributes to my overall appraisal of uh, my partner or another agent, and secondly, it guides me in selection of the next action in collaboration with that agent. Or that age. Yes, yes. So, so is your your um, theory in the sense is that we are to build a kind of emotive intelligence in a computer, um, a machine, um, in addition to recognizing facial expressions or what have you, um, it would should be able to interpret um, an intuitive. It be able to detect the emotional flavor of the actions and behaviors of the agent around it. Not based on if they're smiling, not necessarily based on you know if they have their big red angry sign above head, um, but based merely on the cadence of their behavior, the way it's performed, things along those lines. That that this is how 
that we get a machine to to make those interpretations like people do in that sense? Yes, I, I would say so. Um, I, I would say that uh, the element of emotional interaction is necessary in any collaboration, in any team, and in any uh, social interaction in general. So without this element, we perceive our partner as dumb and uh, not capable of understanding us, not yeah. capable of understanding what's going on, right? But when we see that it actually does show some uh, emotionality in its behavior, we start believing that it is a lie. And we change our attitude toward the patient completely. Yeah, very, very interesting. I'm, I'm trying to catch on to your idea, this whole notion that the smartness and entity, at least in our, in our perception when interacting with human beings, um, is not just in how many Jeopardy questions it can ask. You know, I, I forget the statistic, and sure I would misquote it, but something along the lines of only 7% of our uh, our messaging conveyed verbally when we speak to someone face-to-face, and the fact that, uh, you know, expression and, and body language and all those other factors just matter so much, have so, so gravity in terms of what we're really communicating and how we're feeling and who this person is and what their intentions are, that if that is void, then it... it no matter how smart the language is, it doesn't feel like a living thing as you were putting it. So um, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. I think that that'd be fascinating if we could train a machine to do that. Just because I know we're limited on time, I wanted to touch on one more topic that you brought up that maybe you can shed some light on um, that I know you mentioned was potentially missing in, in AI uh, today, which was a kind of uh, narrative understanding or a narrative intelligence. Um, what does that mean? Or any AI that have it today, what does that really imply? Well, this is a good question because, um, as I learned, uh, there is no generally accepted precise definition of a narrative or narrative intelligence in particular. Uh, in my view, this is somehow synonymous to episodic memory. We all now are talking about episodic memory in the context of AI, but most engineers still do not understand what does it mean for psychologists. For example, uh, the way episodic memory is implemented in SOAR is simply by taking snapshots of the states of working memory. And this is not how our brain works. So one most important aspect of human episodic memory that maybe half of it is prospective is actually memory about the future. Those are our goals, plans, dreams, that we continue to elaborate and connect to each other and plan our past through it. But also the memory about the past is not static. Uh, there are studies that show that every trace of it changes every time as we recall the memory. Yeah, how fascinating so, that is, yeah. So, so yes, imagine this network of episodes connected to each other in in our long-term memory, that's what I would call a narrative network. Now, if you select one consistent trajectory through it, then it would be a narrative. And uh, the, the work of our brain at the metacognitive level is to generate some sort of working narrative that we believe is the most likely course of events in the past and future, and we use it to generate our behavior. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So now I'm starting to understand. I'm just going to try to put this in terms for the listener and also just make sure I'm digesting uh, what you are uh, articulating here. Um, this this notion that in order for behavior, the behavior of a real kind of live agent, quote unquote, to believable, it, it would have to have understanding and interpretation of what has happened to it and what it knows and have made sense of that in order to inform its future direction and trajectory of action and behavior and how it responds to things around it, um, not in any kind of inherent, already programmed 
this happens, I do this, this happens, I do this, but in a way of kind of making sense, making meaning, making decisions based on sequences of past events. It sounds like this is what machines don't do today in your opinion that, that you wish they could. Am I, am I understanding you? Uh, absolutely correctly. Yes. So I would say a machine that can only see the present and behave based on the present situation is not intelligent. It's easy to detect that it is not a human because when you put it back in the same situation in which it was five minutes ago, it would do exactly the same yeah. thing human would normally do. Yeah. So uh, the, the machine must understand the temporal content, context of this situation. Very interesting. Yeah, that, that's one, one major aspect of human intelligence that we must implement. And now, in terms of, you know, maybe as a last little example to wrap, I'm just, I'm fascinated with this idea, these sort of elements of what's missing from real believable person in our machines, this notion of narrative I've actually haven't really heard before. It's making intuitive sense. Um, how would we develop that? Is there work being done in narrative understanding and temporal understanding in artificial intelligence and in its responses? I'm sure there is some degree. Um, maybe you can speak to you know, what's, what's happening there or the kinds of research that maybe you wish was happening there in order to develop that capacity? Yes, there, there was a, a bomb of activity recently in this area. And there are a number of workshops and conferences. Like during this May, there was a workshop on narrative intelligence in Atlanta. Which huh. It was very interesting. Uh, the, the leading person there is Mark Finlayson. Uh, who, who is now developing this field and organizing a, a lot of workshops in this area. Hmm. Mostly those people are interested in the sphere of entertainment. They generate narratives for theatrical plays, for cartoons, even for, uh, for news that will be broadcast on television. Huh. Uh, but there are also people from military who are interested in narrative. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, there are, there are actually people from all of the AI uh, interested in narrative intelligence, but they may not realize that yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, this is something to come. And yeah, you, you correctly identified the first two major uh, cornerstones of human-level AI, are emotional intelligence and narrative intelligence. And now the third one is, of course, uh, the human-level learning, the ability to learn like a human. Yes, and I think that's that tough. That's a tough nut uh, to crack. Uh, let's let's end on on this. Actually, I, let's touch on this last topic. So we'll go we'll go into a little overtime here. Um, in terms of human level learning, um, you know, being able to learn from events, learn from experiences, learn from sensory perception, uh, learn language, um, learn how to move physical body, all of that. Um, how far? How far do you think we, we like to wrap up with at least some some notion of sort of prediction and reasonable possibilities for the future? How far do you think we'll be able to get in that domain in the coming ten years? I know there's a lot of folks who've articulated what they're trying to do in AI to be something akin to an AI that's like infant and can sort of learn from scratch like an infant does. Um, ben Gertzel was on the show not all that long ago, articulated that idea. Other folks have said something somewhat similar. You know, how in in, in ten years' time how far down that path can we get? It seems like we're really not there now. Um, where could we Where could we go and what do you think is possible, you know, in 2025 in terms of machine learning the same way that people learn? Well, to be brief, uh, I obviously do not want uh, to repeat uh, the job that apparently was done by Ben Gertzel. Um, I would say what we miss in machine is uh, metacognitive or active learning. What, what is known in pedagogical sciences as self-regulated learning. It, 
both motivation, metacognition, anticipation, self-analysis, even self-experimentation to some extent. Therefore, you act uh, like an agent working with your own long-term memory that you are trying to create. Yeah. So we need and some of that temporal understanding again there. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Um, how? How? F so I'm curious. Do you do you believe that? field will have fruit to bear in the coming 10 years that will be anything, you know, worth noting? Um, and if so, why? Or if not, why? why? Well, I believe it will be worth noting and it will be obvious to note uh, once we get there because uh, it's a matter of achieving a critical mass of human level learner. Once we achieve this uh, critical mass, the agent uh, will start to learn by itself from the internet, from interaction with people, yeah. from everywhere, and uh, it will grow. Now, uh, th then you may have the situation when you cannot stop this process, but <laughs> you are still in control. Yeah. In the beginning, hopefully, at least we will have some modes of control, and and I'll uh, I'll aim to have a bit of optimism with you that that in the coming ten years, I know there's plenty of folks that are root for the coming ten years, we'll have a little bit more progress down the line of uh, of machine uh, machine learning in the same way that we do. Certainly, I think if it's if it's leveraged for the better, it seems to have a lot of capacity uh, to do that kind of good, and I'll cross my fingers that that's what happens. Well, Alexi, I know we went a little bit over time, but I really enjoyed being able to explore as many topics as we did. We've never really had that narrative note, which I think is curious. Um, I really wanted to give you a big thanks for, for uh, sharing your insights here on the Tech Emergence Podcast today, Alexi. And thank you very much for giving me the floor in your show. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.